As a global yoga community, we've received a great gift of a spiritual tradition from India, one that has changed so many lives across the world. And right now, they're facing a devastating second wave of COVID, and they need our help. That's why this weekend, May 7th and 8th, there will be a 24-hour global yoga marathon being held online to raise critical funds for two NGOs working in India. You can find out how to participate and donate by visiting the show notes for today's podcast or visit the Ashanga Dispatch Instagram page and click the link in our bio. In a message of solidarity, strength, and devotion for this great country and those that live there, we hope to see you this weekend. You have to pray for everybody to be okay. You know, it's not going to be okay if you're just okay. It's not going to be okay if just my family is okay. It's not going to be okay if just my best friend is okay. It ha- it'll only be okay if everybody's okay. You know, when people lose hope, that's the worst. The, the one good thing that I feel is going to come out of this fundraiser is that feeling of global solidarity, which I is very important in today's um, you know, global situation. Also, the fact that so many countries have closed the borders for India. I feel like the yoga community coming together and showing their solidarity is a very, very, very important message in today's world. You know, like India needs... I think this this coming together on different platforms other than the political situations is very important. Hi, welcome to the Ashtanga Dispatch podcast. I'm your host, Megan Powell along with Peg Queen. That was Deepika Mehta, who is one of many world-renowned teachers participating in this weekend's event. As Deepika said, hope plays such an essential role during times of despair. In fact, I'm sure many of us have found ourselves juggling the two in our own lives. Though one thing I couldn't imagine what it's like is going through pregnancy and childbirth in the midst of COVID. But as you'll hear her talk about in this episode, it's given her so much joy to see the world anew through the fresh eyes of her child. And also seeing her practice through the lens of motherhood and how it's changed over the year. Though we might not all share the experience of having a baby this year, we can all probably reflect on how COVID has made us all look through a new lens at our own practices. Since meeting Deepika in Bali a few years ago, I've been wanting to have her on the podcast, but time zones, teaching schedules, life, a baby always seem to play a part in us just missing each other. But now 
as all three of us are part of this weekend's online event. The timing was perfect. And we finally made it happen. So, it is with great enthusiasm, we bring you teacher, dancer, and mom, Deepika Mehta. How is it being a mom? There's so many levels to it. So many, of course, there is this unbelievable amount of gratitude and there's so much joy, you know, it's like seeing the world all over again with this through fresh eyes, like, you know, the, uh, like right before this, like every time she sees a bird, she's like so excited. Or when she sees like a little caterpillar, she's like, oh my God, like she's like squealing. It's like, she gets excited. But like when we, we, we walk her to the, we take her with us to the beach and she sees every dog and she's like, like she gets super excited. But of course it's also pretty exhausting, right? I mean, like, I wish I, like I feel a bit sleep deprived. I feel exhausted. At the same time, I feel ex- extreme amount of joy. Uh, every time I see her and I connect with her, all the other stuff just drops away. You know, I don't have the space to think about other things because it's like complete presence and joy. Uh, but, you know, it's it's also exhausting. Talk to me about your practice. How has that changed? Yeah, my perspective has changed so much. You know, like I cannot tell you that's been the biggest change. Like, I don't know if I'm the same person anymore because I remember firstly, we had not planned, you know, um, we had not planned the baby. So it was a complete, it was like out of the, it was like, I was, I couldn't even believe, I thought I was having menopause when I was not getting my period. I promise you, I was like getting an appointment. So we were teaching in Bali. I was practicing third, like a ninja, like, you know, I was on the top of my ninja game, like obsessed, obsessive, you know, I have to nail this damn scorpion. If I can't touch my toes to my head, the world is like, collapse and all of this kind of obsessed right we were teaching a lot of people like like mark and me were waking up and doing third like at three in the morning and then we were teaching so many people it was like the most intense physical stuff that i've undergone ever and like i'm 44 now so you know i was i didn't get my period for a while and i was thinking this is definitely you know menopause everybody says oh you know don't do this much ashtanga you're like you're going to get menopause early. You're going to have all these problems. You're not going to be fertile, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, for sure, this is pre-menopause. I was getting an appointment with a guy to figure out everything. And then a friend of mine, she said, you know, why don't you just check it? You could be pregnant because you haven't got your period. I said, no, 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 there, there's no chance. I know that <laughs> there's no that boat sail long back. And, you know, I did the test because she insisted and I... I remember I did this like seven times because I just could not believe it. And, you know, so from one day to the next, uh, like everything just changed. So it took me a while to accept it. You know, for a while I was really like, oh gosh, I'm not going to be able to do third. And I had this dream of like wanting to finish third and do all these poses and everything. And I was like feeling a bit shattered on that. And now, I don't know, for me, the practice is still a very 
like I, I love it, but for me, it's a tool to get myself grounded, to feel present, to feel a deep sense of not, you know, just feeling peaceful. So for me, the, the reason why I'm practicing now is very different. Like I, I just, I did a bit of a practice just before this podcast. Uh, like, so there was some breastfeeding, there was some practice, but it was just like sun salutation A, B and like up to Prasarita, I think. And it was like, okay, this is incredible. I feel so present and I was so grateful to be able to do that much. In the past, that would have made me cry. Like I would have been in depression for two days that I could not practice. And it was only up to Prasarita. You know, so the perspective really shifted. Just, you know, again, I know that everything changes. Nothing is permanent. So maybe tomorrow I will again go back to again getting obsessive. Never know, you know, we're all like, we're women. And hormones are also a thing. But for now, I just feel grateful to be able to move and to feel grounded and happy, you know, and to feel peaceful. And for me, this is the real reason why I love this practice, because it really embodies me. I feel very grounded when I do it. The way you just described it, we were having a conversation earlier today about the practice. And, and I agree with you. I think there's so many different ways we can practice. And you know, like for the grounding, I think it's fun, like, you know, to practice and, and do that third and like, you know, be a ninja. And then when you're, when other things happen, it's beautiful to be able to go to Prasarita and that you can be in your body and feel grounded. Not always do people feel comfortable in uh, adapting the practice in that way. You find that? Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've had to learn to adapt very early on because the reason I came into the practice was from a terrible injury. So for the longest time, like uh, I had a terrible accident. And so I came into practicing because to recover from that accident. And so for me, the longest time, Utita Hasta was impossible because I, I had broken my ankle. Like I have osteoarthritis of my ankle from the injury I fell from 40 feet wasn't it rock climbing yeah 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 it was rock climbing yeah 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 that was like another lifetime you know it was like 20 20 years ago it was a totally I feel like I can't even connect anymore to that reality but yeah it was like from that accident and so Utita Hasta was like you know I'd had to adapt to a lot of things. And because of that whole thing in my left side, I had broken pretty much my entire left arm and my ankle. So I have a few imbalances in my left and right side of my body. And, you know, there's a lot of poses. I know I have to be very particular, like to make sure that I'm very symmetrical because it's very easy for my body to be asymmetrical. And so I've had to adapt from very early on, you know, and I've had to learn that okay, it's okay not to do Marichasana B and D sometimes because it can trigger something in my knees sometimes. And I'm so I've, I'm okay to adapt. And also, even though I was practicing for the longest time, you know, Sharath was my teacher for the longest time. And he's so, he's so strict on the right leg going first before the left leg. But he was okay with me putting my left leg first because it would trigger my knee and, you know, my ankle and all of that. So from the beginning itself, for me, adapting is part of the practice. So I've been okay with that. 
So I'm not one of those all or nothing kind of people. But there are a lot of them out there. Yeah. Which is a pity, right? It's a pity because there's so much to gain. I see people obsessive and, you know, it's like Ashtanga is their religion. And they like will not even let you like, okay, if you put your left leg before your right knee, you're like, oh my God, you're doing something really wrong. You're not respecting the parampara and all of this heavy stuff. And if you do the vinyasa, not in the right way, it's terrible. And then after a year, I find out they stop practicing because and now they're doing CrossFit. So it's like a bit confusing for me. I'm like, you know, like they went from Ashtanga being real, their religion to now like, you know, like completely not even doing a practice. And it's like, come on, everything can exist. We're living a life. Life is not like black and white. You just have to be okay with, this is an amazing tool. Let's just use it as that. But that's what happens when you're like an all or nothing, you have to leave. If you can't, if there's no room, then you have to. Yeah, like there are days like right now, especially with my whole breastfeeding journey, I don't know how other women do it, but for a year of breastfeeding a lot, I feel like I can feel my spine, uh, you know, has a sense of, it's not pain, but a deep sense of exhaustion. I feel really heavy some days in my lower back and I don't know if doing a very intense, I could do Kapodasana if I wanted to, but I don't know if it's going to serve me. Like after that, Am I going to be, I'm going to be feeling so tired and my back is going to hurt even more. So some days I just do, I put on some music, I'll do a few sun salutations and then I'll just like try to move my spine in a fluid way and try to release it. And that soft kind of moving in a very like pliable, fluid, soft way in my body just helps it recover. Uh, and then I'll just finish with like, inversions you know like I'll try to adapt the Ashtanga practice with other forms of movement so for me it's like you know there's so many beautiful things and you can find your own way but of course I do believe you have to know the like take your time to ground yourself in the practice before you start playing with it I mean I've also seen like we teach in Rishi we were teaching in Rishikesh at the international festival and some days we were like come on let's just be free so I said, let's try this Mysore room where anybody can come in, whoever has a practice and just come and do whatever you feel like. And we're here to support you and, you know, keep the space. But then I would see people coming and they're doing sun salutation A and the second pose they do is like Vashishtasana. So I was like, okay, I think that's, a and then from there, like going into like flying bird and then going into like flying I don't know what <laughs> wild thing and I was like okay this is a bit much let's just go back to being traditional so it's like you know what I mean I feel like you need to uh, be a bit grounded in the practice before you can start playing so I do feel that now like just get yourself grounded get the drishti get that internal practice going and then you can play but once you you know established yourself in it then I think it's okay to be a little bit, you know, adaptable and a little playful sometimes. It doesn't that like make sense. I mean, like, really, like the way you are with Devi, like as she gets older, you're going to be, you're, you're, you probably tell, you probably make sure she goes to bed on time and you're in charge of when she eats. And 
I'm looking at Megan and I no longer tell her when to go to bed and I no longer <laughs> tell her what to eat. <laughs> There's a, you, you do it in the beginning, but then you allow people to find their own rhythm. Yeah. 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 So true. One of the things I love that you bring to the practice is a sense of femininity. You, you bring that, uh, that soft step that when you, even the way you described with your sun salutations and then moving fluid with your spine. and Yeah. But you know, again, I don't know, some people might say the opposite because on our retreats, I was also the person who would teach the core drills class. <laughs> and if you've seen my quadrilles, you know that I can be pretty hardcore and pretty like intense as well. So I don't know. I, I feel like I have both aspects to my personality. I'm super, super, super feminine and soft and, you know, like fluid and going with the flow. But I'm also like, also, I love like strong movement. I love the feeling of strength and power. And, you know, I love that intensity. Like when I'm, I love trekking as well. And when I'm trekking, it's like really hard. You know, I like that physical, you know, endurance. So it's, it's, I, I know I have both aspects to my personality. I think it's grace. You know, that's what I think of it. I, I don't think of soft as in yeah. weak, weak, but yeah. soft as in not hard lines. Like yeah. there's a grace and, yeah. you know. And that's also the reason why I think some of us are attracted to this practice because there is a certain sense of rhythm and with that rhythm comes an element of grace and self-expression. You know, to me, that is also one of the reasons why I was so attracted to Ashtanga because uh, when I first saw somebody practicing in India, you know, for me, it was not my perception of yoga. It was, I had never seen a form of yoga, uh, you know, a form of asana practice where people were moving continuously. And so for me, that represented a sense of rhythm you know, like there was this kind of like, I, and I've always loved dance and I've always, I love rhythm, you know, for me, rhythm is something I'm very attracted to. So when I watched this person move, I was like, wow, this has this kind of dance-like quality because of that rhythm. And for me, that rhythm or vinyasa then translates into fluidity, right? Because you, when you're going from A to B or A come to do A, there is an element of continuous flow. And, and for me, that is what is, you know, uh, is grace or is softness or is femininity because that those transitions for me is what I love in the practice. I agree. I love the rhythm. It lulls and it, yeah. just, it puts me in a groove. Yeah. And it's, um, and I, it's also something I noticed that some people inherently get it that internal quality of just moving continuously with that concentration and flow. And some people just never get it. That's the part that I love. But then when we get kind of nitpicky and we, you know, like your foot has to be turned this way or that way, it kind of, it interrupts that. And I get, I'm, then I'm in my head and I'm just kind of looking and judging and, yeah, but you know, like it's uh, like when I was teach, I was you know when I was teaching in Bombay, and I used to have a lot of belly dancers coming to my class because one of my very good friends is a dancer, 
this form is called tribal belly dance. So it's an American form of belly dance, but it's more strong, it's more muscular, and it's very like um, serpentine, but in a kind of like a strong, powerful way rather than a sexual kind of way, which, you know, for me, I don't like that very like seductive looking belly dance. <laughs> but anyway, so a lot of these girls, a bunch of them were coming to my class and I would see them transitioning. So like every time, like suppose they were going into Padangushtasana, they would like use these kind of fluid movements to go into it. And I was like, wow, that makes so much sense. Of course, it looks beautiful, more beautiful than somebody just going from A to B, like in military style. But when I would see them moving, I was like, wow, this is no wonder when they reach the back bends, they've already moved their body in this kind of fluid way, which is, you know, in an anatomical way, they've already opened up everything that is required. And so I would watch them and I was like, this is amazing. This is how, and, you know, in a way, I, I feel like I started using that, that wave idea of moving. So it's still moving in that same way of vinyasa, you know, it's not distracting. It's not to get people's attention as most people think that that is, but it's to create a sense of fluidity. And also I like this idea of contraction and expansion, you know, so like a contract, you know, you want to move with that element of contraction and expansion. And for me, the wave represents that. And there's, and also every, if you're doing a practice, Every single day, you need to keep yourself motivated. And what is wrong? One day, I'd like to move very strong and keeping everything really tight and moving from Akam to Dwe without as less distractions as possible. And another day, what might inspire me is fluidity, nature. And nature doesn't have perfect lines. It's all fluid, right? So I watch like the way a tree is and I'm like, okay, maybe this makes more sense because everything you look at in nature has fluidity. There's no tight lines. So, you know, I feel like taking inspiration from different elements to keep yourself motivated, to keep yourself connected. There's nothing wrong. And, you know, strangely, like I would practice in a very fluid way in the Shala and Mysore and, and actually, um, you know, Sharat never stopped me. He was okay with that. So, I feel like he's fine with it. And a lot of other teachers like Richard Freeman actually encourages that. And anyway, so I feel everybody has their own and there's no right and wrong, but there's no, nothing wrong in self-expression. No, I, I think the only places that it gets tricky is honestly social media. I think social media is the one that makes like, that makes these, very hard lines of this is the way and this is not the way this is right this is wrong and it's yeah. and it's because it makes it easy because you only can put up a post a post can't be complex a post can't be i mean we try exactly but yeah I feel that's another bizarre thing i mean i'm i'm giving it an analogy to something else sometimes you know you don't connect with somebody on social media and you might think you have opposing opinions but then when you meet them in real, you're like, actually, and if you're really present with that person and, you know, you have amazing communication, that person might have another opinion and you might have an, another opinion, but you might feel like, actually, I really connect with this person because there's something that is very similar. And I, so I feel like, 
of course it's amazing to have great great friends on social media but i sometimes feel if i really want to get to know this person and if i should not judge them just by what their post is i should first just meet them get to know them and then maybe have and then maybe i wouldn't even feel this way so you know i feel like yeah reality is sometimes very different i feel like you have been with megan and me all day cuz like i just feel like we're just having the exact same conversation that she and I had like 3 hours ago from <laughs> from from the keeping it interesting to the how people are so different like something they might portray on social media is so it's only because that's what you only you can do on social media like you yeah. if you're a teacher you have to like give out these lessons or put out these pictures and you have to have something yeah to material or whatever and and things are so much more complex and yeah yeah but you can't really express that but when you meet someone in person complex you yeah. feel that and it's it's uh, yeah also for me something which i don't like is um you know i'm i'm i try to be a very free person and i'm not somebody who likes control and being extremely I have my opinions but I like everybody else to have their opinions including people who like who are my students uh and I and so I feel like I don't know where I was going with this but in a myso room in the past not now I also like people to have their own you know I I'm not, I don't like even though I might be the one who's teaching them might I don't like to like I don't know if it makes sense but to put a box around them and so i'm also the same when i am meeting people i try to also sometimes see things from their perspective you know like okay maybe they have a perspective which is different from mine coming from their set of experiences so i for me like i feel more and more now that there's no black and white you know with everything i tell you a story when you said the boxes made me think of this i remember when my son was in second grade and he's always been a little bit of a wanderer I remember going in for the conference and I looked at this the rows of students and there was one chair that had red tape around it. And I just remember looking at the teacher saying, "Please tell me that's not my son's chair." And she said, "Oh yeah, that's your son's chair." And a pair and like he they <laughs> they told him not to get out of his seat, you know, and walk around. So apparently to obey he would move his chair then around the room he would stay oh in his seat but then move his chair so they put a red box around but i just thought to myself oh gosh that is everything that's kind of wrong in some ways it was just a big classroom and there were so many kids and they just had to keep them in controlled and yeah. so then the red box yeah. becomes i have to keep order and control No yeah. but I love that he's obviously like wow what are you thinking right isn't it incredible the teacher didn't think so but yeah <laughs> you know, he can relate it to so many things he's like okay I, if you want to put me in the box I'll stay in that box but then that box is going to go all around the place that's yes, it which is why we get to college and he had a 4.0 semester and it's really interesting but you know what he said he admitted today that covid in a way gave him the perfect environment 
because one of the things he doesn't like is busy work. He doesn't like the idea of having to, I know, go to class, being graded on attendance when he will do his research and he's a good independent worker. That's how he learns. But usually schools are very traditional, right? They're very, they're, they're more like you show up, you get a check mark. We, we count that as part of your grade. And yeah, it just, it, it's weird that people learn different ways. People. So COVID was actually for him by taking the attendance part out of it, allowed him the freedom to do his own work at home, which he actually enjoys. And he yeah. did real, and he obviously did very well. Yeah, I see that in my nephew and my niece, as as I mentioned to you earlier, and my niece is 15, and I see now because of COVID, she is like all consumed by because she has nothing to distract her. She's so hundred percent, like you said, on her time, she's able to really get hundred percent absorbed. And I mean, she's doing really well. But then I see my um, her brother, who's much younger, and he's a free thinker. And I see that he's extremely he's 12, but he's super creative. I can see that if he got the right, you know, if he was given the right tools, that he can also be like a genius. Because sometimes he comes up with the most incredible things. But for him, sometimes I also know that discipline is what keeps him harnessed. His yes. energy, because he's got so much energy. You know, as we're saying this, I was just thinking about when everyone did the lockdown, just from a a self, a home, having a home practice, we went from, even though we, even though in Ashtanga, we say home practice is something that is sort of the beauty of Ashtanga is that we can do it anywhere, you know, anytime, like this is ours. I can be in Montana. You can be in Bali. We we have our practice. But when COVID hit and everything shut down, I found that there was a real sense of anxiety and panic amongst students who then did not have a teacher to go to every day. But in the year that's gone by, I feel like there's been a shift to home, like having a home practice. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I feel like for me, because my practice for a, quite a few years was a home practice, was a self-practice without a deep, like I had gone to Mysore, I learned the practice, I came back and back in that time in India, there was no other teachers I could really go and there was no Mysore rooms at all. There was no spaces for me to go and practice. So for the longest time, my practice has been at home. So I've kind of been used to that. But I guess for some people, it's also that sense of community. Um, And for me, that is definitely that's something I miss. You know, I miss having a sense of community. And also, like, I miss having that space where people can coexist without even, like, having to speak a word. You know, so just feeling, like, held together by this, you know, by this space without having to communicate in words. I also, like, especially... And I think Megan is going to uh, relate to this because I know she's shy and she's a bit of an intro, you know, introvert. Just, just that's just my sense of her from what I saw of her in Bali. Uh, and it's like I'm also quite a shy person, actually. And I'm also somebody who loves like my quiet time. 
at the same time i love people you know i like being around a certain kind of people and so i missed that sense of community where it was not so much about you know like just being in a mysore room i guess is you feel held also sometimes mark and me were discussing this this can be a bit controversial so i don't know if i want to say it. but you know there is okay i don't know whether i should say it or keep my mouth say shut say it say did it I, did i say it okay you're going to relate to this i know you will okay so you know like if nobody was watching you at all okay there was no way you could put up a picture there was no videos you could put up and nobody was watching you in a mysore room would you still want to do kapodasana and scorpion <laughs> you were stuck like if you were in a jungle and nobody was watch you and nobody was there to take your picture and there was no hope of anybody wanting you know of your picture being taken even after a year and a video would you still want to do like scorpion kapodasana um maybe kapodasana is very easy for you right megan but like you know what i mean right yes i know what you mean you know what i mean like yes. of being Okay, I don't know this is controversial should I say it or not? not like now nobody is watching me when I'm practice practicing right so I'm very happy to just do a primary series it's so easy it's so calming it's beautiful why would I want to do kapodasana God bless you for saying this God bless you for saying this out loud like why would I want to down balance and kill myself when i can easily like just do a beautiful primary feel so connected happy grounded so you know like of course there's an element in the mysore room you know there's a charge of other people being around there's a charge of you feeling like wow like you know like i can do this pose but this is subtle it's subtle of course like i'm being funny and i'm being silly there's also an element of doing the pose and feeling great internally so why can't we have both why can't we recognize yeah, that there's something beautiful right yeah. to have the intensity and the the heat of a room and a teacher yeah. and the the momentum and energy and also have when no one's looking a quiet like why do we have to practice the same way why would we yeah. practice the same yeah. way yeah exactly right? yeah Yeah like you know like seriously even if i could go to a mysore room now now that's the thing that i'm wondering if i went to a mysore room if i was practicing at home i would probably like i said not do kapodasana because i would feel or like try to do scorpion or whatever because i would feel like come on like after this again i'm going to have to breastfeed and i don't know if this is the best thing for my spine at the moment to do such an intense back then uh but then i went if i went to a mysore room maybe i would do it you know what i mean and you you can get carried by the wave of energy in a yeah. in a mysore room for sure and mm. right or wrong you won't you wouldn't even know probably till after you might go oh yeah i maybe went too far or yeah. no i probably could have but it's not a right or wrong it's just trying to figure it out where you yeah. are yeah 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 and i think it's okay every day to check in with yourself and see where you're at as opposed to having this kind of very high standards for yourself and trying to live up to them every single day yeah you know you know what i mean like yeah. that is 
one of the reasons why you could get injured or why the practice would not end up serving you is if you have such high standards, like every single day, I have to be able to do these super intense things. And maybe some days that's not going to be the right thing for you physically and also mentally. And also for your nervous system, you know, to do such intense things sometimes is, is frying your nervous system, you know. So you also need to check in and say, okay, maybe my body feels okay to do this, but I need something which is more calming and not so stimulating. And so it's okay for me to do something which is a bit more soft. Yeah. I've also had to less, learn this lesson in a very hard way, you know, like out of the blue a few years back with absolutely no buildup. Like I've never had anxiety and stuff like this ever in my life, ever. I didn't even know what that word meant. And like a few years back, I think it was four or five years back out of the blue, I had a panic attack out of the blue. Um, and so for a, for a while I had that deep anxiety you know, and I really couldn't figure out where it was coming from. So I checked in with my diet. I went on an Ayurvedic diet and all of these things. But it also made me introspect a lot on my practice. And I realized maybe I have to tone myself down a little bit because physically I could do all those things, but maybe energetically my nervous system is not able to handle this. And so for a long time, I just started doing the same Ashtanga practice, but in a very restorative way, you know, like I just read up a lot on like, you know, the restorative system from the Iyengar method of calming the brain, stimulating the parasympathetic, the vagus nerve, all of this kind of stuff. And I started applying it in the Ashtanga practice because it's there, you know, like all that stuff, the resonant breath. Um, you know, the forward folds with calming the brain, all of that. So I just started applying it in the practice and I realized like I can also do it like this. Uh, I don't have to push my jump back, jump throughs. I don't have to make it so muscular. I can make it very soft and just like super calming and grounding. So, it, you know, that was also a big lesson for me. I really do think you were with us today because we like had that conversation as well. We were talking about the elements and incorporating them in practice and kind of looking at yeah. fire and, and Ashtanga is a very, can be a very fire, fiery practice. I mean, sun salutations, yeah. we do so many, right. We do so many, but yeah. if you were out and you were getting overheated and you're on the trail, the sun's beating down. And I mean, and you're just, you're red in the face and you're sweating and you yeah, can't breathe. What would you do? You'd look for yeah. shade, right? Yeah. You'd go find a shady spot for a bit. Like you wouldn't keep, you wouldn't make it hotter or harder. You wouldn't start yeah. running. And, but yet in our practice, those same, when we're like our, our nervous system is getting fried and yeah, you know, just find some shade. Yeah. Breathe a little slower, you know, forward folding. There's, there are yeah. ways that we, can, that we can adapt within the practice that yeah. are right there. But yeah. We often don't feel like that's available for some reason. And I don't know what that is. Maybe that's just human nature. Maybe we just. Yeah. Maybe some of us, you know, feel like martyrs. Yes, exactly. Like, like, like so there's some benefit for killing ourselves. Yeah, like element of feeling, uh, uh, you know, something 
incredible about suffering, self-inflicted suffering. And it doesn't have to be, although I, I, I have to admit, I was one of those people. That's why I can relate so deeply to that because there's a part of you that relates or feels so connected to being a warrior or, you know, that, you know, you've had to, because of certain circumstances in your life, maybe you've had to endure a lot of suffering and pain. And so you only see life through that lens. You only feel like I'm good enough or not even that, but you feel like suffering becomes a part of your, uh, you know, your daily feeling or your daily lens of seeing the world. And when you don't tap into that feeling, you feel something is missing, you know? So then the, you know, I don't know. I'm sure you really understand. Yeah, I've had so many students say, yeah, but that's too easy. Or that felt easy. And you're like, yeah. no, but that's actually the ease is kind of cool. I mean, like it was yeah. like on an exhale, like doing something on an exhale, you know, when you, when you exhale and you relax your shoulders and make a bind yeah. and, and it's easy, you don't have to work for it. It's a little bit, but people get a weird sense of guilt. Like, no, it should be harder. Like I should yeah. have to be. Yeah. Learned this from like I do some stuff with movement improvisation and dance. Like I have a teacher, she's amazing, she's so beautiful. I mean, a couple of different teachers, but I have this one particular teacher. She's an Indian girl, very simple, and her background is different forms of dance. But what I like to do with her is movement improvisation, and so what she gives me is different games and tools to play with. So one of the games that she's you know that she's done with me is like moving as if I was in water and then moving as if I was uh, in just by the wind. And then one is like moving as if I'm in marsh, you know, like something which has a lot of resistance yes. and I have to push through it. So like being able to move in all ways like that, like water, so just being very fluid, but still there is an element of resistance. And then marsh as if there was a lot of resistance and having to work really hard and then air as if there's absolutely no resistance and actually you're just being blown by a breeze you know and you're just like moving with that so I do love to use that sometimes in my practice like there are days I'm like you know I can just move with zero effort I can just move with my bones I don't need to make this a muscular workout or like a muscular kind of you know, way of moving, I can just move as effortlessly as possible. And this is something I've learned from a lot of like people who've come even to our classes who are contemporary dancers, just watching. Uh, and it's something that I really like to use in, in my own body and explore. And, and you That's know, you practice, yeah. Like for some time, I was trying to train a handstand for a very long time. And so like really moving with a lot of tightness and intensity was helping my body find stability. Um, and it's some, you know, it's another extremely opposite tool, like working more from like a gymnast kind of perspective. So, but I feel like all of that is available and, you know, you, you, you could use all those different tools to serve you. Absolutely. You are, you are speaking our language. <laughs> I think anybody who's practiced, you know, with sincerity over a period of time has going to have those introspective moments, right? Like, 
if you've done it sincerely and you've done it for a while and you're going to have and you've lived life and so you've had other things going on in your life other than just the practice you're going to have those tools that you have to just you know accumulate along the way we are saying there's so many things that you don't know that you don't know you know what i mean like yeah i like you're like before you had Devi, you know, there were things you couldn't have known, but having her and being a mom now has opened up this whole nother world. And I think that that's the beauty of living yeah. life alongside that. I feel like this year must've been, and you must feel like this when, when things are difficult, I feel like our learning curve goes up quicker like I feel like when things are struggle you learn at a much uh quicker pace and mother motherhood during COVID must have been um I can't I can't imagine I mean it was intense at so many levels but the last few months of like pregnancy the uncertainty like we were in Bali and but I was kind of clear I wanted to come back to where my family was in India to have the birth. And so literally the day that the borders of India shut down to like everybody, you know, foreigners, just that day, the night before we came in from Bali to India, otherwise Mark wouldn't have been allowed into India. And it's strange, we came back just the day that the borders of pretty much the rest of the world is shut down to India. It's such an ironic situation. So we came to India and it was like lockdown. I came, it was so, it was quite painful because I came to India thinking I can be with my mom because I was missing her so much. But then we came into India and we had to be in quarantine because my mom is pretty susceptible because she's, you know, in her seventies. And so, and we just traveled. So we had to be in quarantine and I couldn't meet my mom for pretty much three, four weeks. And I was in the eighth month of my pregnancy and, you know, not being able to see a mom, like it was like, and every day her and me would talk and, you know, be, we'd be like crying. She wanted to be there for me to physically be there, even though we were in the same city. And, um, you know, I, I really desperately wanted to meet her, but then I knew it would not be safe for her. So it was like quite intense in that way. And then also I was very sure I wanted to have a, um, you know, natural, um, I wanted to have a water birth. And so there was a struggle to find the right person as well in the city that my parents live because it's a pretty mainstream, you know, there's hospitals, very fancy hospitals. And so everybody was telling me, you know, it's COVID, just go for this. You don't want to be looking for a midwife right now. But I was very sure I wanted to have a home, you know, not a home birth, but a water birth with a midwife. And so like finding that midwife and then having the birth, like even going to the, you know, to the birthing center in the peak of COVID in lockdown, I was in the most intense, like it was like three hours before I gave birth to Devi and I was going to the birthing center and the cops stopped us because it was a lockdown and I was having intense like contractions, like this is four hours before I gave birth or three hours. The most intense contractions every four minutes or every five minutes I was having a contraction. It was intense and the cops stopped us and they were like, this is lockdown and you can't like, I was like, I'm going to die. And you know, like, 
<laughs> it was intense. And then finally we made our way to the birthing center and my midwife was like, you know, because when I was, I had done all this preparation, uh, hypnobirthing and affirmations and this and that. So when the contractions were not happening, it was seeming like I was quite okay. And my belly was not that big. So she was, she was looking and she was thinking, this is going to take some time. But when the contraction started, she was like, oh my God, this is intense. So like pretty much three hours after Devi was out. So it was, you know, and I feel like that whole everything built up to it. But then even after the birth, coming back home, it was difficult for my, uh, again, for my mom to really support me because in India, it is a huge tradition for the mother to be really supporting, you know, the, the woman after she gives birth. But again, because it was the height of COVID, it was difficult for her to be really like physically there for me. So it was a very intense time. You know, I've, I felt like it was intense and like Mark was really, you know, he was like rock solid for me. So that helped me a lot. But then two months after, like, you know, then my parents could really come and like, it was great because they could really be there as grandparents for her, for Devi. So that was amazing. But yeah, it's been a journey. It's been an intense journey. That you missed your mom right now. I miss my mom a lot, and I really feel like she, I wish she could be there for Devi, and I wish like for her that she would get more time because it gives her so much joy. Um, but I'm also learning to come into my own, you know, and I feel as a mother that's also very important for me. Um, so it's. You know, it's, 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 again, it's a mix of both. I want one question I was thinking about as you were talking about COVID. Has Mark's mom met? No, right? No, you know, it's so sad last night. Every night I'm praying, I do this chant, you know, like for 15 minutes, I chant a mantra. And yesterday I was just, visualizing my mom and Mark's mom there to meet Devi. And I was like, I really want this, you know, I really, really want his family and my family to be able to again, come together and be there for her. So I don't know, it's going to take a miracle for that to happen, but you know, that's the painful part, right? Like that's yeah. the part. I that bit. Yeah. And the strange thing about this COVID situation is that actually I feel, you know, if I don't know how to say this, but it, you have to pray for everybody to be okay. You know, it's not going to be okay if you're just okay. It's not going to be okay if just my family is okay. It's not going to be okay if just my best friend is okay. It ha it'll only be okay if everybody's okay because, you know, it's a very physically, it's only going to work if everybody kind of gets, do you get what I mean? So I'm just for my mom and then I start praying for my mom and then I start praying for my dad and then I pray for Devi and then I pray for Mark's family and then I pray for my friends and then I'm like, it's only going to be fine if pretty much my whole country and the whole world, I mean, it sounds so bizarre or it sounds as if, but it's the reality, right, as well. 
It's like I really, really am praying as desperately as I can that like really God, like, I don't know. I mean, somehow this word God is so misconstrued, but I'm really praying that everybody gets fine and it's just the situation in some way gets resolved. So there's not so much suffering on, on so many levels physically, that uncertainty, the economic, you know, reality of it financially, that deep uncertainty for so many people. And also that constant, you know, mental anguish and hopelessness, you know, the hopelessness is the worst for me. Because like the other day I told my mom, I was like, I really wish you could be here with us in Bali, I hope. And I felt like she said, you know, I sensed a sense of hopelessness. And this is for me the, the saddest bit. It's like, I really, you know, when people lose hope, that's the worst for me. So I really want like, the, the one good thing that I feel is going to come out of this fundraiser is that feeling of global solidarity, which I is very important in today's, um, you know, global situation. Also the fact that so many countries have closed the borders for India. I feel like the yoga community coming together and showing their solidarity is a very, very, very important message in today's world. You know, like India needs, I, I think this, this coming together on different platforms other than the political situations is very important. And so this is a very important message of hope for people. You know, of course the funds are very important, but people coming together to give each other hope and to say that they're there for each other. I feel this is very important. That was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was. I mean, I'm like, I'm going to cry and I can see that you're <laughs> going to make me cry. And I'm hearing, and you know, as I'm seeing you, I'm sensing my mom's, you know, and, but like, I wish I could give you a big hug. Thank you. I pray that one day we'll meet and, you know, practice and do our kapot asanas <laughs> because we'll be there to watch each other. <laughs> that's like just like super easy she's like wake up do no, it no no today I got to have a uh I was like I raised my arms up and I was like no no it happens not, even not it today happens <laughs> even to people like you so that's good to know <laughs> Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for sitting down with us. It's been like such thank a joy you. to be with you. Oh, I really, it's so beautiful. This is the one thing that is giving me so much joy is to connect, you know, like, again, this is something which is so strange out of this whole COVID situation. Like, you know, you're reading beautiful stories of people being there for each other, you know. And I guess that's the thing about hardship and suffering is, mm -hmm. you know, people can connect on this and it's sad that it has to come to that for people to connect, but that it, I'm very grateful for that. Me too. Yeah. We'll give a hug and a kiss to little Debbie and tell Mark we said hello and you are a beautiful soul. This has been an amazing hour. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Oh, so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to visit the Ashanga Dispatch Instagram page for details on this weekend's online yoga marathon. We'll see you there. Also, did you know that Ashtanga Dispatch has a new podcast? It's called On the Path, where each month we'll bring you a new trail to explore and someone inspiring to walk along with. You can subscribe to On the Path on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Plus, while you're there, make sure you're on our email list to receive our full moon musings, where each month we explore various elements of nature and practice. The Ashtanga Dispatch podcast is hosted, produced, and edited by Peg Mall Queen, along with me, Megan Powell. Music is by Mark Pilly. Thanks again for listening.